Welcome to the Innovate for Impact podcast. This podcast is for leaders in the social sector like you who want to make a difference. Each episode is packed with practical ideas on how you can be more innovative and create an even bigger social impact. We share our ideas on what you can do and also speak to leaders from the sector to share best practice. So let's get into it and let's talk impact. Welcome to the Innovate for Impact podcast. You're with Tracy Newman and as always, I'm joined by my good friend Dan Bentley and uh, we're really happy to be joining you here today. But before we kick off, I just wanted to acknowledge that I record here in Adelaide and would like to acknowledge the Garner as the custodians of the Adelaide Plains and pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging. And I'm based in Melbourne, so I'm on the lands of the Bunurong people of the Kulin Nations and I'd like to pay my respects to the Elders past, present and emerging. Great. So what are we here to talk about today, Dan? We're going to talk about today is what do you need in place to be able to collaborate and share decision-making with the people that you support? We have a few different podcast episodes about this and we obviously provide services in this space. But one of the things that we've been hearing a lot lately is people throwing training at their people and hoping that's going to change the culture and mean that we're all going to be out there sharing decision-making and collaborating But the thing that we've been talking to our clients about and being involved in many different conversations around the place about is that it takes more than that. And that's what we're going to explore today is what is that more than that that you need to do on top of the training to be able to really make sure that it's easy for people to be able to collaborate and share decision making. Yeah, I mean, I get it. Training is definitely the first step. So I see that, you know, it makes sense that that's the first thing that comes to people's minds. But we all know you can't just train people in something and expect them to implement that training flawlessly and for a whole organisation to line up behind that. There are other things that are needed to be able to really shift the dial and make a difference. Yeah. And so what you kind of see is people go to training, whether it's with you know us or somebody else, and there's all these great tools and maybe even coaching and guidance after it. But what they're fighting against is an organization that's still behaving in a very different way that's not doing that often. And so what they need to do is then sort of create things bespokely or you know make up their own sort of policy around remuneration and try and, and research that. They might also need to go and recruit a bunch of people because maybe there's not a centralized way to do that. There's all this effort. And the challenge that we put out to the people that we work with is how can you make co-designing and sharing decision-making as easy as it is to make decisions on somebody's behalf in a room full of you know your peers because that's kind of what you need to try and go for now whilst that is an ambitious goal in itself and may not be you know possible to get exactly the same amount of time taken to do that it, it is about trying to think about well that's what you've really got to aim for though is to get as close to that as you possibly can because if it is six times more work for people, then you can sort of understand that coming out of training and having to do that, where where are people going to find the time? Who are those people in your organization that are actually going to go against the grain and just do something completely different to how everybody else is is working? It is it's really hard for them to do that. So yeah, the stuff we're going to take you through in a second is the stuff you need to have around that to support your people so that it can make it easy for them to do a good job at the thing that they want to do and that you also want them to do. Yeah, and I think you've given kind of the perfect segue there because the first thing that we're wanting to talk about that people need to be able to do this is actually they need to have that space created. You can't expect for people to do everything that's part of their day job and also lead co-design projects 
particularly when they're new, because as you said, you know, you, you need to have a little bit of time to adjust and to build your capability and to build your competency. And, and sometimes, you know, it'll take you a little bit longer to design a workshop or something like that than it would after you've been doing it for some time. So, you know, really giving people that space and giving them the time resource that they need is absolutely key. And a lot of that also comes down to the support that leaders are giving co-design within an organization. We've seen a lot of this recently, especially in the aged care space, where this sort of collaborating and sharing decision-making is sort of becoming mandated. And so, Mm -hmm. leaders are saying the right things and they're saying, I want you to go out and do this, yet they're not creating that space for their people to do that. They're not investing in the tools and resources for their people to do that. And they're really not giving them realistic timeframes for delivery as well a lot of the time in order to work in that way. So, for example, you might say, look, I need you to make a decision on this by you know, close the business in two days' time and to stand up some sort of consultation in that time unless you've got those existing frameworks in place and you can quickly tap into a group of people. If you don't have that, that's going to be extremely difficult to be able to pull that off in time. So we see a bit of that at the moment where it's, it's kind of like saying one thing and behaving still in the old ways. And the, the organizations that we see doing this really well, they do create that space and they do support people to be able to work in this way because they know the benefits and they also realize as well that it's just not going to happen if you leave it up to the individuals to try and navigate this on their own. It really is about that authentic buy-in from the leadership team as opposed to the saying the right things, as you said. And how you know that you've got that authentic buy-in is that people are actually saying, look, I'm so bought into this and I, I appreciate and I acknowledge and understand the benefits. And to demonstrate that support, I'm going to give you the time and the space to be able to do this and do this well. And I think it's not just about, I guess, having that time, but it's also about, you know, the right tools that people can use straight away. Like, as you said, you know, often when you're in a training environment, you know, you've got those tools whilst you're in training and and you've got those things that you can use whilst you're kind of learning. But then again, you go back to your workplace and if you don't have any of those, you know, tools and templates and those things that help to guide you through that process, then that does make it really tricky. Yeah, the organizations that we see doing this really well, they actually have a library of different tools and templates that when somebody wants to run a workshop or go and engage with somebody one-on-one, then they don't have to create something bespoke. They have a library that they can flick through and go, oh, actually, if I could maybe use this or take some of this and and add a couple of extra questions or things myself, it just saves that whole time of reinventing the wheel. Think about how much time people are going to be wasting if they're constantly developing this stuff bespoke in isolation. It's really inefficient. By creating something like this library of these tools and templates, what you're going to be able to do is, is you're going to get better quality stuff, but you're also going to save a hell of a lot more time because you're not constantly you know, recreating things in isolation. And you're also going to make it easier for those people to get started because once you've got this library there, people can just jump in and go, oh, cool, I'm going to use a couple of these worksheets like I said before, and I'm off ready to go with my project. So, huge benefits there in having something like this. When we do our training with people, we give them a whole heap of things that can be used across lots of different types of sectors. But 
you know, the organizations that we see doing this really well, like I mentioned before, they, they would take those and sort of adapt them to be their own and, you know, have certain things and questions in there and ways of working that really meet the needs of the cohorts of people that they work with. A lot of the time, once these sort of tools and templates have been filled out, as you said, there's often not a lot of difference within an organization about the type of work that you're doing. So again, rather than sort of starting at the beginning, you can adapt and you can iterate on work that's already been done rather than everyone reinventing the wheel each time. Want to improve your co-design skills and confidence? Join Tracy Newman, the co-host of this podcast and head of impact at Impactor Consulting for the Co-Design for Impact training program. In this training, you'll explore co-design from start to finish, learning how to understand diverse stakeholder needs and create innovative solutions. You'll also get access to the co-design workbook with essential worksheets and connect with like-minded individuals from the social sector. Act fast because this popular course fills up quickly. Secure your spot now by clicking the link in this episode's show notes or visiting impactoconsulting.com.au forward slash co-design for impact. Remember, co-design for impact is one word with no hyphens. Don't miss this chance to enhance your co-design skills. The next one is having pre-set up engagement groups, advisory boards, whatever you want to call them, is also a really great way to ensure that you are, again, not reinventing the wheel every time and you are making it easy for people to work in this way. So, engagement groups can look in many different shapes or forms, um, but what we often see is that people have groups that are sort of like the board and the executive are able to engage with around strategic type decisions and they often have more sort of operational engagement groups as well that anybody can sort of get in front of a representative group of the people that your organization supports or people with lived experience, whatever that might look like, and be able to grab some time with them to be able to involve them in decision-making, co-creation of something, getting feedback from them, whatever that might look like. That's what we usually see in this space. And it's well-structured. There's a person or group of people who own the maintenance and the recruitment of the people into that group and how that all kind of works so that it's not sort of you know this ad hoc thing that happens once every quarter. That's what good looks like in this space. So if you think about what it looks like if you don't do, that's me finishing training and then having to think, okay, who do I need to get involved? How am I going to get them? Do I call them? Do I email them? Like I've got to work all that out myself. And so that's a huge blocker in front of people from getting started. And if we can remove that blocker by making it easier for them and they can just go and get in contact with whoever looks after those groups, they can all of a sudden just go, yep, cool. We've booked you in with them on next Tuesday at 9am. Bring along your tools and templates and you can uh, put your training that you've just had to the test. (laughs) That's right. And it's such a great way for people to build their confidence as well, isn't it? They've already got that engagement group built so that they can start small. It doesn't necessarily need to be that they go in and, you know, run a big workshop. It could be that they actually just take something that they're already working on and and test it and give them a little bit of an opportunity to get practice in eliciting feedback and having conversations and engaging with the people that you want to engage to get feedback on the work that you're doing. So it really does make a, a very big difference. And again, when you've got 
that confirmation from people around how they want to be engaged and the types of things that they feel really passionate about, you kind of know already that you're going to be talking to the right people and absolutely saves you a lot of time. And then because you're able to save that time, it then feeds back into that co-design and support in that you don't need as much time to be able to get something up off the ground because a lot of that legwork's already been done. Yeah, absolutely. The final one is around things like how do you remunerate people when they're a part of it? Again, you don't want people to come out of training, be all gung-ho and then have to go kick a conversation around the organization for a couple of weeks of what's fair, how should we pay them, or is it okay to pay them in cash or do we need to pay them in vouchers, like all that stuff. You need to create a either department or an organizational, ideally wide, policy around this get someone to do the research around what is an acceptable rate. Are you going to remunerate people for travel, which is what a lot of people are doing at the moment too, as well as what their time is worth and processes that are already set up so that when somebody does want to engage, they don't need to look into all of that. They can just find that documentation and get started and make sure those people are all remunerated quickly and also in a really fair way. Yeah, and actually even just having the ability to be able to do that. So often when we're working with people, you know, that they're comfortable around remuneration and they're comfortable with the amount and then when they actually go to do it, the organisation doesn't have any sort of payment system or process that will enable them to be able to actually do it. So being deliberate and intentional about, well, this is how it's going to work and having, you know, the processes then means that you can make sure that organisationally you've got the systems in place to be able to support that. I think another one of the things is actually some organisational clarity around, well, what are the types of things that are really important for us to co-design or for us to engage with consumers on versus what are the things that we are just going to make decisions on? Because you don't want to get to the point where you feel like, you know, you're wanting to engage consumers to double check what sort of paper you want to put in your photocopier. I mean, that's ridiculous. And sometimes when people don't have any guidelines, they do one or the other. You know, they err on the side of caution and try and be consultative on everything or they do the opposite and they kind of go, well, I'll save it up for something really big and, you know, in the meantime they're starting new programs and doing things and ending up wasting resources because what they're doing doesn't really fit the intended recipient's needs Mm. because they haven't engaged them. So it's really about doing that thought intentionally and proactively as an organisation around like what are the things that are really important and what sort of things do we want to consider and are there times that we're going to work around that because of expediency or because of legislation or mandates and things like that. So uh, we've given you some food for thought today. So really what we're talking about is, yes, you want to build capability if you want to be able to meaningfully engage the people that you support and share that decision-making. Of course, you, you need the capability first, but you also need other things. So it's all about creating space and support with tools and templates, uh, having that uh, consumer engagement groups or advisory boards or access to people with lived experience, and then that strategy where you're going organization is being intentional around you know what does this look like for us and and how do we want that to look for us in the future so been good chatting today dan thanks very much likewise thanks trace thanks for listening to another episode of the innovate for impact podcast any links to what we spoke about today will be posted in the show notes 
If you'd like to know more about social innovation, visit our website where we have a heap of tools to help you on your way. Visit impactoconsulting.com.au. Thanks for listening. Now go out there and make an impact.